0: well amen church family so i have a little bit of a confession to make they always say that if you get into a new position or you become pastor somewhere you don't automatically go and change what you've been doing the first sunday you're there i'm going to change what i've been doing But listen to me. I want to preface this just a little bit, okay? Because I want you to hear it from my heart. The message that I'm about to preach to you today, this is not a self-help message. This is not some happy, go-find-your-best-life message. But there is a sweet spot in which God calls for us to live. He calls for us to live within His will. And we're going to open up a verse of scripture today, and I'm going to do some explaining about this scripture and do it in a way that I'm not used to doing it. You have to understand, for 17 years of youth ministry, I have seen myself as more of an evangelist type of preacher than I am a teacher. But that's going to change a little bit. Because as I was going through this scripture, I, I felt as though there's not really a way to, to, to preach this until I get to the end. The, the, the beginning of it has to be a teaching moment. And so I wanna do that with you this morning, but I wanna talk about, I, I, I brought up this idea of the sweet spot, right? Do y'all, do y'all understand what I mean by that? Um, I, I can, being a sports guy, I can, I can give it to you in sports terms, right? You can ask my daughter. She plays, she plays softball. Uh, Mac plays softball as well. You, you, and, and Allie as well. Y'all play softball. Uh, okay, we got a lot of softball. Play. If you play softball, just lift your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there is a part of the bat where when you hit that ball, the compression of the ball and the compression of the bat come together and that ball just <laughs> springs off of that bat like somebody shot it out of a cannon. It's called the sweet spot. There's a place on a tennis racket that every tennis player, the pros do that. See, we get out there. I, listen, I, I come from a baseball background. I can't play tennis because every time I hit the ball, I'm like, home run. It's going over the fence. It's bouncing off of somebody's car. I can't hit the ball down. I can't do that but but professional tennis players hit the sweet spot of the racket which from what i understand from what i've researched and i've been told is about that big around you have this massive tennis racket but that sweet spot is about there professional tennis players hit that sweet spot 98% of the time they hit the ball i'm like wow that's amazing but what happens is that ball comes off of that racket with that, just like it was shot out of a cannon, with that perfect spin, everything that they want it to do. They hit it just right every time. Now, for those of y'all who aren't sports people, and there's a few of you in here, think of it like this. Y'all remember the story of Goldilocks and the three bears? Why did we hire this guy? (laughs) No, hang on with me. Y'all, y'all remember, so so she, she gets, she walks in, she, she, she finds the porridge on the table, right? And one's too hot, one's too cold, but the third one is just right. And then she goes and she finds the bed, right? This one's too hard, this one's too soft, but this one is... There is a sweet spot in our spiritual lives that God wants for us to live in. He wants for us to live in this. And there is a, there is a book in the book of... There's a, there's a chapter in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, that many of you probably have not run across very many times. There's a man in that book, his name is Agar. Right? Great name, right? That, that, that's one of the ones that just... Flows off the lips. Everybody's going to remember that. No, absolutely not, right? Poor guy. But he is the author of Proverbs chapter 30. And we're covering the entire chapter between this week and next week. And there's a prayer that he prays in verses 7 through 9. And we're going to read that in a moment. But let me, let me say this first. Again, Unless you're an avid Bible reader, you read through the book of Proverbs constantly, you may not even know much about Agar. you have probably never paid attention to him. Don't be embarrassed, you're not alone, it's okay. I, I, I told some of my pastor friends, I said, Tony, what are, you, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching through the prayer of Agar. And they, they looked at me, they're like, who? I'm like, oh, ye Bible scholar, right? And I had to tell them where it was. I need to warn you about the way that Agar, 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 whichever one, it's going it's to vacillate between the two today, okay? I promise you. There's a way in which he speaks. His delivery is a little quirky. Um, Jacob, can y'all, can y'all pull my mic down just a little bit? I'm, I'm ringing a little bit, and, and it's, it's to the point it's bothering me a little bit. Um, Agar's writing is a little bit Quirky, okay? He's a little different. Kind of think of him when he gets into some of this as kind of like a stand-up comic, okay? He he tries to be funny. Sometimes it falls short, okay? But he's a little bit different. He does have a little bit of an attitude, as we'll see as we go through this. But I also want you to see that Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9 is the only prayer that we find in all of the book of Proverbs. Considering all the topics that are covered, all the literary devices that are used in the book of Proverbs, it's a bit surprising. And that alone makes Egger's prayer pretty special. So here's the short prayer, a formula for living in God's sweet spot, right? A plan for living a life that's, as Goldilocks would say, just right, right? Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, it says this, Two things I ask of you, talking to God, two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to apply all of your word to our lives. The verses that we know by heart and the words that surprise us. Open our ears to hear, our minds to think, and our hearts to love. Help us hear from your Holy Spirit today as we Read your words and help us to cherish the journey and live in the sweet spot in your will, in your blessings. Lord, we ask you to bless this time that we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, church family. Again, this is not a self-help message, but it is God wanting us to live in the sweet spot. But can you see the potential here for living in God's sweet spot? Agar prays. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me everything that I need for today. He's saying, Lord, help me find balance. Help me to avoid the extremes of life. Help me to trust you, Lord. And that prayer in reading that when I ran across this is what drew me to Eager. And we're going to focus on those three verses Next week. (laughs) Today, we're going to uncover five takeaways that I want you to have today. Five points from the rest of the chapter. And then I'm going to, we're going to go through the end of this chapter. And this is where Eger gets a little bit quirky. I want to show you five lists that he has and the importance of those lists. Things that you can apply to your life Today so that we can prepare our hearts for Eager's prayer next week. Proverbs has 31 chapters. Bible scholars agree that Solomon personally wrote or compiled chapters 1 through 29. Chapter 31 was written by King Lemuel. You'll recognize that chapter, especially if you're involved in women's ministry. I'm sure it's being said, quoted in some way, shape, or form to the ladies who are up in Gatlinburg right now. Because much of it describes a wife of noble character. She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband is respected at the city gate. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Uh, The Proverbs 31 woman is a popular theme, right? Proverbs 30, written by Agur. And most people have never heard of him. The chapter, the prayer, and Agur himself sort of come as a surprise. And that's sort of the first thing that I want you to see this morning. I want you to see this is more of a practical application that I have for you this morning. If you're writing these down, here's your first one. Explore God's Word. Church family, we need to explore God's Word. We need to be biblical scholars. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to college and get a degree in biblical studies. What I'm saying is, is that if you are a Christian, then the word of God needs to mean something to you. It needs to be something that you hold on to. It needs to be something that you explore and find all of these great things in it. We don't know much about Agar. The opening words of the chapter tells us that he was the son of Jacob and Bible scholars say that he may have been from northern Arabia, somewhere in that area. That's all the history we have. That's it. And that's okay. His words made it into God's book, which is a pretty good reminder that you don't have to be famous to make a difference. There's no way I can compare myself to Moses, to Abraham, to Paul, or any of the spiritual giants of the Bible. The only thing that I have in common with them is the same power that caused them to do miracles and to do things is the same power that lives in me because I have repented of my sins, given my life to Jesus Christ. That same power, that same Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But don't you just love the idea There are quite a few historical characters who show up for a single scene, only have a brief moment in the Bible, but still leave a memorable impression. I'll give you a few examples. Who remembers Simeon, right? Simeon, the old prophet, barely shows up in Luke chapter 2. He meets Mary and Joseph at 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 the temple. He holds the infant baby Jesus in his arms and predicts that Jesus will be a light unto the world calling the rise and fall causing the rise and fall of many people. How many of you know the name Jochebed? Know who Jochebed was? You could make the case that her actions launched biblical history. You see she was the mother of Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. She sent her three month old son floating down the Nile in a reed basket to rescue him from Egyptian death squads. And yet her name only appears twice in the entire Bible. Think about the thief on the cross. We don't even know his name. But he recognized Jesus, confessed his own brokenness, and Jesus promised him truly, I say to you in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, you will live with me today. In paradise. That passage suggests that there is no lag time. Between our time on earth and our entrance into heaven. And that's good to know. And I can identify with Simeon and Jacobed And the thief on the cross. And with Ager. They made a difference. They found their purpose in life. And that's what I'm trying to share with you today. Is that we have purpose in our life. God's will is a purpose for our life. The second thing I want you to see today, that I want you to take away from this today, that I challenge you to do today. Number two, seek God's purpose. Seek God's purpose in your life. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the lives of people around us. Proverbs chapter 30, let's look at verses 2 and 3 and what Agur says here. 1, 2, and 3, sorry. It says this, it says the words of Agar, son of Jacob, the pronouncement, the man's oration to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal." It says this, <laughs> listen to what he says, I am more stupid than any other person, and I lack a human's ability to understand. I have not gained wisdom, and I have no knowledge of the Holy One. Ager starts this passage in verses 2 and 3 by claiming to be completely ignorant. He confesses that he is limited when it comes to his wisdom, but Proverbs repeatedly indicates that humility is the first step to wisdom. Understanding who we are. Understanding our shortfalls. Understand that we may never understand. We may never know all of the treasures that the Bible holds. But we understand that to become wise, we need to recognize that we are not God. I have a friend of mine who, who posted this week uh, from his church. He says this. He says, recognizing our brokenness is not a disqualifier for discipleship. It's a prerequisite. I'm going to park here for just a minute. Because the Holy Spirit is telling me to. How dare we think that we know everything that there is to know. And how dare we use that attitude to think that we're better than somebody else, that we're wiser than somebody else, just because we may sit in a pew on Sunday morning. This ought to be the most humble, forgiving, loving place in all of Berkeley County. This room right here. Because we are all broken. I am telling you right now, I have wrestled all week. The devil has been in my... Well, it ain't the devil. I'm not important enough to rate that high. It may have been one of his demons, but it was probably just my own insecurities whispering in my ear, You're not good enough to do this. Those people are crazy for voting you into this job. They got to be as nuts as you are to think you can do it. And you know what? They're right. I'm not worthy enough to stand in this place. I am not worthy enough to be a pastor. Not in my own power. But through the power of God and the Holy Spirit working through me. I'm telling you right now, you did not hire Tony Stevens to be your pastor. You hired the Holy Spirit. And the moment that Tony Stevens becomes your pastor and not the Holy Spirit is the day you need to run me out of town on a rail. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that will allow me to do this job for however long God calls me to do this job. And if you ever see me, you have my permission to pull me aside and say, hey, you ain't doing it right. You ain't doing it right. But listen to me. We need to be humble enough. We need to be loving enough and we need to be open enough to understand. Look, look what's in this room. Can, y- can y'all just stop and look around in this room for a minute? It's okay. Turn your necks. Look around at this room for just a minute. Do, do y'all see the diversity that we, in age that we have in this room? Do you see it? We have people in there <clears throat> all the way down to teenagers. And listen to me. It's a good balance of both. It's a good balance of both. But church family, we need to understand that moving forward, we need to be humble enough to understand that moving forward, things aren't business as usual. And that sometimes we move into a new age and trying to reach this world that's out here, that maybe we need to step back and say, you know what, maybe, maybe things need to change. And maybe I need to step back, and I need to be humble enough to step back and say, you know what, it's not about what I want. It's not about what what we've done here for the last 25, 30 years. It's not about all of those things. It's about what God wants to do moving forward. And I am not arrogant enough to stand here and say, I know what that is. I'm not. But I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to say, God, show me. What Calvary Baptist Church needs to look like in order that we may reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. That was off script. But we need to have that kind of humility when it comes to everything in our Christian life, including how we study the Bible. We cannot sit here and study... And project our own ideas and our own thoughts and our own things into it. Even Agar. Agar made it into the Bible. We didn't. The Bible is sealed up, done. That's it. Nobody's adding to it, nobody's taking away from it. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But listen to me. Even he stood up and said, I'm stupid. I don't have the wisdom. On my own, to be able to know all of these things. But guess what he knew? God did. God did. And he opened himself up. The third thing I want you to see this morning we need to appreciate God's undefinability. God cannot be defined. We cannot put him into our little boxes and think that's who we're supposed to be or who God is supposed to be. He's beyond our imagination. He's beyond our thought process. He's beyond our desires and our needs and our wants. We read in verse 4, it says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the winds in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all of the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? Now, not only does wisdom reside with God, but it also resides with God's Son. What Eger does here is he asks a series of rhetorical questions to indicate humanity's unwillingness to seek God's wisdom and rely on their own wisdom. No human has gone up to heaven and come back down. Hasn't happened. No human can gather the wind in his hands. No human created the world. We read this from a different vantage point than Ager does, right? Eger asks, What is the name of God's Son? Because he doesn't know it, but we know it. It's Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is the God man who came down from heaven as wisdom for us. And Agar's question in verse 4 is directly answered by Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 13. It says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Agar asks the question, and thousands of years later, Jesus answers it. The point is that God's son is the one who has access to God's wisdom because he's the one who came from heaven. So look to God and his son for the wisdom that we seek. And keep in mind, like I said, Agur was writing this close to a thousand years before before the birth of Jesus Christ. Prophecy about the Messiah was a major topic of discussion among God's chosen people. They were anticipating a Savior, and that was the focus of the Hebrew people, and it still is. But before Agar, there was barely a hint of any of the ancient writings that the Messiah would be the Son of God. That was a completely foreign concept. They didn't understand that the Messiah would be the Son of God. They just thought it would be a deliverer. They had no idea. There was no concept that Jesus would be the Son of God. And so hearing this, Agar asked, what is the name of God's son? Asking this kind of question at this point in history shows that Agar was a prophet. He was a true prophet. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning. Ponder God's timeline. Ponder God's timeline. Today we have the benefit of seeing how the Old Testament points to Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We look back in history looking at all those things. We should be on the edge of our seats knowing that we live between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything that's going on around us, all of the disunity, all of the disunion, all of the wars, everything that's going on around us is just pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we should be anticipating it. We should be excited about it. We should be looking forward to it. Verses 5 and 6 say this. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words or he will rebuke you and you will be proved a liar. You see, God reveals this unknowable wisdom to us in his word. So we have to submit to it for us to know wisdom. God must reveal it to us. If we're going to have wisdom, it's only coming from one place. It's coming from God. His word is true. It's a shield to everyone who trusts in him. And most importantly, listen to me, church family, it's sufficient. It's sufficient for every need that we will ever have. And so the warning is there. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't sit in judgment on God's word as if it's lacking something. That was the problem for humanity in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent spoke and laid doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. And they thought that God wasn't sufficient. That they needed something else. That they needed what the fruit of that tree was going to provide for them. But what did it end in? It ended in death and it ended in destruction and it ended in sin coming into the lives of every one of God's creation. They didn't see God's word was sufficient for their lives. And you know what? They weren't alone. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We know what the Bible says. But we think our ideas in certain situations are better. We often come to Scripture and act like God forgot to put the exception clause in it because of what we're going through. God's promises are always true. God's Word is true and it is sufficient for everyone. People will say things well, I know what God says about divorce, but you don't know my situation. I wrote you don't know my husband, but I was feeling a little triggered at that, so I just changed it. Or they might say, "Well, I know what God is saying about parenting, but you don't know my children." Or they might say, "Well, I know what the Bible says about submission to authority, but you don't know my boss." We think our case is the exception that somehow just got left out of the Bible. Proverbs warns us that God will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar if you act like the word isn't enough for you. In fact, Revelation threatens a curse to everyone who does this. And in chapter 22, verses 18 through 20, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will, Uh, you got to go back. I didn't get that one. I missed it. It's not in my notes. There you go. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him in the plagues that are written in this book. Now go. There we go. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. Now listen to me. I am not a biblical scholar. I do not know if the words that are written there as a warning are about the book of Revelation or if they're about the entire Bible but I'm not taking any chances. I understand that God is wiser than I am. He is much greater than I am. Everything that He has tried to do in my life has been perfect. The reason why it didn't turn out perfect is because I got involved. So I'm just going to leave it at that and say, well, not to diminish the Word of God, but it's good enough for me. It's sufficient for all of us. It's perfect. It's a perfect reminder that the Bible was written by man, but inspired by God. The writers were inspired in the moment by the Holy Spirit. So when Agur wrote these words, he was at the moment speaking from God. We read about that concept, that same concept. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says this, Above all, know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's inspired Word can, does, and should stand on its own. Agar's chapter somehow made the cut so we can trust it. Every word of God is flawless. The fifth thing I want you to see this morning is we need to affirm God's authority. We need to affirm God's authority. Trusting the Bible is foundational for believers. Before we pray, before we do anything, we need to align ourselves with the word of God. I hear so many people that say, I've been praying for this and I've been praying for this. I've been praying for this thing over and over and over again. And God hasn't answered the question. God hasn't answered my prayer. Well, we always say that God answers prayer in one of two, in one of three ways. Yes, no, and not yet. Yes, I'll give it to you. Not yet, because it's not time yet. You're asking for it too soon. Because God's plan has to work. It's in God's time frame. Let's go back to no for just a second. Do you realize that you may be asking something when you pray that is outside of God's will? Completely outside of God's will. When we pray, we need to make sure that we are in line with God's word. That we're not asking for something that is outside of God's word. And listen, I know a lot of times when we pray, we're praying for loved ones who are sick to get better. But listen, nobody on this side of the earth lives forever. Eternity happens on the other side. Sometimes when we pray, we pray outside of God's will because we want that person here. We're not ready to separate. Because we're gazing at the world and our comforts and our needs and our desires here, but not what's in glory. God is faithful and he is true. And if you align yourselves in God's will, that verse of scripture ask and you shall receive anything that you pray in my will I will give it to you people forget that those two those three little words in the middle anything that you pray in my will and they get upset when God doesn't answer their prayers but they didn't realize that they didn't ask in God's will And Agur asks essentially the same thing. In verses 7 through 9, again, that we read just a few minutes ago. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't deny them from me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. That's a great thing to ask. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal profaning the name of my God. You see, at the end of the prayer, Eager's only a third of the way through his heavenly writing assignment, through this meaning. We need to pray in God's will. But then what Eager does is he finishes this book, and I'm going to wrap up here soon, He finishes this book with five lists. Agur wants us to know that this world is broken. As we read in verses 15 and 16, the leech has two daughters. Give, give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. This is one of the things that he does as well. He says he always starts these. He starts most of these lists with three things that I I have. No four. It's his way of saying you could continue to count all of the ways that we fall short. It's not just these three examples. It's not just these four examples. It's so many more. But he says, the leech has two daughters. Give, give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, a childless womb. Earth, which is never satisfied with water. And fire, which never says enough. Ager wants us to know that this world is broken. We had our chance at paradise in the Garden of Eden, but we're living in a falling world, and there are tribulations we cannot escape. Listen to me. Death is inevitable. It's going to happen. We are going to pass from this life into the next. But remember, our final destination is not determined. Our final destination is not determined until we make a decision about what we're doing with Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Number two, a woman cannot bear children. That's an emotional truth. He's appealing, he's, he's appealing to the emotions. Thirsty land, number three, is a physical truth. And four, fire is, a, is, is a, 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 another physical reminder of God's power and his provision. Fire gives light. It cooks us food. It keeps us warm, but it can also destroy I'm going to skip ahead this morning because I'd probably be here for another half an hour. Forgive me. We will, we will come back to this at some point. We will do this another way because these lists are important. But there's a, there's a section of Scripture that I, of this Scripture that I want to share with you this morning that I want you to look at as we close this morning. We're going to skip all the way to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 10 through 14. It's at the end of, uh, it's at the end of those... There we go. You got it. He says this, and this is where I want to close. Don't slander a servant to his master, or he will curse you and you will become guilty. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filth. There is a generation... How haughty its eyes and pretentious its looks. Y'all know what haughty means? It means that I'm better than everybody else. That's what it means. Verse 14, there is a generation whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, and devouring the oppressed from the land and the needy from among mankind. Now listen to me, church family. If you sat there and you read those verses of Scripture... And you thought about those generations. It was true in Agar's time and it was true in our time. But you looked around the room or you thought of people in your life who are of a different generation than you. And you said, yep, that's that generation. Yep, that's that generation. Yep, that's that generation. Can I tell you, it's you as well. Listen to me. I said this in our Sunday school class this morning. I'm going to say it again I don't want you to think that the words that I'm saying are harsh the words that I'm saying this morning are urgent I want you to see the urgency as I said last week we are not promised another day much less another week to get back here together but I want you to see this we live in a fallen world And you know what makes it a fallen world? Each and every one of us. Because of the sin that we harbor in our hearts. And if you think to yourself, well, I'm a good person, that's pride, that's sin, come down to the altar. (laughs) We've all fallen short of God's glory. It was no different in that day. They died looking forward to a coming Messiah, trusting God for a coming Messiah. We look back at what that Messiah did on the cross for us. Billy Graham said, 50% of the people who are on your church membership are lost. I believe that to be true. Because we will confess Jesus with our mouth and we will deny him with our lifestyle. And that is why we struggle as a movement of God to see this world changed. Because we've all fallen short. And when I say all I am included in the all. Okay? Listen to me, church family. We have a sin problem. We have pride and things in our life that are dragging us away from a relationship with God, from the sweet spot that we are supposed to live with our God, whether we know Him, whether we have confessed Him in our lives, or we have not. These things are dragging us away from God. Not only is today the day of salvation, as the Bible tells us, but right now, today, is the moment of repentance. If you want to find God's sweet spot, if you want to live with contentment in your life, if you want to live a life that is in the will of the creator who made you and the one who who shed his blood to save you, to restore that relationship back to you, then repentance is what you need today. You need to look upon Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. I am sorry for thinking that my way was better. And come to him and surrender your life to him. And then and only then, as the Bible tells us, can we be called the children of God. Before we were just his creation. But when we come to Jesus and we lay it all upon him and we repent and say, God, I can't do it anymore. I am not worthy we come to a place of brokenness and humility in our lives and we say, Jesus, you take over. I've already made a mess of everything. That's when we come into his will and the blessings that we will have from our creator. Now that does not mean, let, let me, but don't hear what I'm not saying. That does not mean life is Perfect. As I told you, I've had so many spiritual arrows thrown at me this week, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I need to call the cavalry. Cavalry. I always miss those words up. I'll call my cavalry too. I'll call my people. Pray for me. Life is not perfect, church family. It's not, it's not going to be because we're not perfect. Life becomes perfect when we cross over and we spend eternity worshiping at the feet of the one who died to save us, who gave everything for us. And so I want to encourage you, church family, we're, we're going to do this a little bit differently today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to do this for me today, if you will. If you would say to me, Pastor tell me. There has been a point in my life where I know I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I have repented of my sins, and I have trusted Him. But things have happened in my life, and I'm not living in in God's will. I'm not living in that sweet spot. I'm not living in contentment. I'm I'm not blessing other people with the blessings that God gave me. I'm not praying for other people. I'm not wanting to see other people get saved. It might even be in your heart that you're saying, I realize right now in this moment the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and saying, I'd rather cause division than I would unity. If you could say that this morning, then listen to me, there's nobody looking around. There's nobody. Listen, everybody's praying in their own heart, in their own way right now. They're hearing from the Holy Spirit in their own way. They're not looking around at you. I'm just going to tell you, come to this altar this morning and pray. If you can't come to the altar, if you're not able to come to the altar, then pray right where you are and say, God, forgive me. Help me turn this around. God, help me live in your will. By by the way, just to explain, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, look at where he's moving. Look at what he's doing and go get involved. Go jump in and get involved. That's God's will for your life. To be involved, to not sit on the sideline. So if that's you this morning, I'm praying for you, but you pray, God, move in my heart this morning. Lord, help me to see that I'm living outside of your will. that I'm not living in the sweet spot that you provided, that you have given to me. I'm not content. Lord, help me to be content. But there's another group of people that might be in this room right now. They have never repented. They have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have never surrendered their all to Him. Therefore, they cannot find God's sweet spot in their life. They cannot find God's will in their life. And they're not going to. That is the first step. You have to repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you would say, Pastor Tony, I want to do that this morning. I want to surrender my life to God this morning. I've heard what you said. I know, I understand now that Jesus died for my sins. And I want to give my life to Him this morning. If that's you this morning, there's nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything to to make you feel uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask you, nobody else is looking around. It's just me. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Tony, I want to accept Jesus today as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for this place, these people, this church. And Father, I'm praying that as we move into a new season, As we begin to to open your word and hear what you have for us as we move forward, God, it's going to be different. Things are going to change. But God, we're relying on you to give us the vision to move forward. To reach this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I'm asking you right now, change whatever needs to be changed in my heart to facilitate that happening. God, don't let me be a stumbling block to your work here at Calvary. God, move in my life and my heart to make this church be what you want it to be. And I pray that for all of our people. Lord, let us not be a stumbling block here but let your word go out from this place and see lives changed. God, help us to focus on your word and to do everything that we do within the confines of your holy word. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to be here and to do these things. And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to just make an explosion here in this room. Lord, let us be changed. Let us be drawn closer to you and do what you have willed us to do. And when it's done and lives are changed and this community is changed, then God will give you the glory and the honor because it's only you who can do it. It's only you who has done it. It's only you who can give us the vision and the power in order to do it. We praise you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, thank you for being here today. just, again, a couple of reminders. There's there's no Awana tonight. There's no youth group. Youth group will start back on May 21st. Um, here's the other thing uh, about our youth group. Be praying for our next youth leader. And be praying for the person who is going to stand in the stead in the meantime until we find that person. We don't know who that person is. Maybe God is calling you to say, yes, I can step in and do that and help out in that that way. And I can already see some of the faces. You want me around the teenagers? Hey, you know who said exactly the same thing 17 years ago? It's amazing if you open your heart and allow God to move what he will do. He will equip you for everything that you need to do. Amen. Be praying for that. Amen? Um, So, no youth group, uh, no Awana tonight. In fact, Awana next week, uh, they will be at Wanamaker Park next Sunday afternoon doing their family picnic and their Awana Awards that day uh, on the 7th. Um, And yet, please don't forget to sign up for drinks and desserts for the, uh, the Men's Brotherhood. Uh, that we'll be having here on the fifteenth. The sign-up sheets are outside on the on the on the welcome desk. Amen. The whole day. Okay, so you can come and drop all of that stuff off. Um, also, again, rem- just a reminder: be praying about uh, what you may be able to do about the 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 shoes that we're collecting uh, for our mission up in Kentucky. Um, so. Any size, yeah. You can go from children's to adults. Um, tennis shoes. Um, I'd I'd stay around the tennis shoe area probably. That's probably the most practical uh, thing that we can do. I'll, I'll go back and look, and if there's something um, specific, we'll we'll send that out. Um, but I don't remember there being anything specific. Um, any 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 other announcements that I may have missed? Okay, I'm sorry. One other announcement: We do have a church council meeting right after church today. Um, it'd be it'd be short. We won't be in there very long. Um, so uh, so brief church council meeting once we're done with the with the service today. Um, any other praises or, or, or any praises or prayer requests to, to today? Miss Debbie. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. We'll certainly be praying for Paul and the family as well, and lifting them up in prayer. Amen. Anybody else? Okay. Amen. Well, thank you, church family. Hey, I want to encourage you this week. um, Read through the rest of Proverbs thirty. We didn't we didn't get to a lot, and and forgive me. I thought I would get through a lot of that information, but listen. I was, I was writing it in one frame of mind while, while defending the uh, throwing about the arrows and, and listen to me, church family. I, I, I want to see this church do something awesome and amazing on this corner here in Monk's Corner. And I believe it can, I believe it will, but it takes every one of us. It takes every one of us. And so we start the process make sure everybody's heart is in alignment that we have unity for the mission that's in front of us that that's been my heart this week that's been my heart this week um i i I love you i hope you have a, a a fantastic afternoon and uh and just enjoy your family and 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 everyone brother jerry would you pray for us this morning as we as we depart